Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Allison and Eric Teach Through the Bible. No, Chipsifer. No. But he's here in spirit. I love that we're talking to this and not. No. The real Eric's people. Eric's talking to the recording. It's the internet era. I'm not supposed to talk to people face-to-face anymore. That really just happened. Yeah. He just, he just introduced to the recording. Well, but, like, think about it. They don't know. You're, I know, but they do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Okay, hello, good morning, afternoon. No, morning. Morning still. It's morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together, and uh, just thank you for everyone here. I pray that you would be with us as we dig into your word, and I pray that it would touch every one of us and help us to store it in our heart and use it this week and beyond. Um, May we all be changed, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So the first part, we do a reflection of over what we've read in the last month. And you have to clarify who you're talking to. Huh? Are you talking to them or the recording? I, both. You have to clarify. No, I don't. Because I'm, I don't. What is wrong with you? What is wrong? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Remember, I can do, I can do all kinds of crazy things. Um, <laughs> I can change my voice too, apparently. Apparently. This is nice. This suits you better. This, the voice, the day you changed my voice, I was, I, didn't I forget what I was doing, but I knew it was coming because Erica texted me the podcast to, to post and all it said underneath one of them was, I'm sorry. <laughs> see, so at least I apologize. And I always know when he sends me the files, if I see, well, I'm sorry, that's true. that I need to go find out what they did. And I went and listened to myself talk like that. And I was like, it is always weird to hear your own voice. So I get that. Yeah, so many things. I'm hungry. Huh? You're I'm hungry. hungry. Yeah. So uh, the first question is, what stood out to you in your reading this month? And I guess uh, let's, since there's a small group, why don't we talk together? You want to do that instead of in little groups? So what stood out to you in the reading this month? Did yeah. you like that with my hands? I did. Yeah. I held my hands up. There. Now everyone knows that. Okay, good. What stood out to you this month? Uh, no, rattle them off, of Nancy. Let's We're ready. go. Get the ball rolling, Nancy. Some of those proverbs that I didn't memorize, but they hit me. Okay. Love it. Strangers will consume your wealth, and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. And that was Proverbs 5.10. Hmm. Godly people find life. Evil people find death, and those are good. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. I like when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. That one for me, because I talk a lot, has been helpful. Dan, I, I keyed up the 20, Proverbs eighteen twenty one. the tongue can bring life or death. 
But then kind of the other side of it, Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like ounce of gold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that balance. I love that. One stuck out to me because I tend to be a loner, and it said, "Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire." Proverbs So now you have to move over a chair, so you're sitting right next to Debbie. <laughs> Come sit here. Yeah, Chip's not here. So early on in Proverbs, um, and they end up using a lot of times for. Um, marriage ceremonies about not being unequally yoked with um, non-believers, you believers, non-believers. And I was in a Bible study many years ago when we went to Proverbs. And they, we also applied that to, you know, business. Um, well, we were going through it from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, how to, how to run our businesses. And um, anyway, that was kind of, you know, wake-up call, you know, you hadn't, yeah. you know, very applicable, but not something you put in first. In. You, you always hear it at a wedding, so that's where you think of it. And, but no, it goes to all parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, think about it. You don't yoke with your wife, right? Like, you yoke oxen together, and that means that they're working together. So, you know, in the plainest reading of the text, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. So those relationships, the high responsibility relationships. It's good, Jeff. What do you think about Job? I love Job. Any thoughts about Job? It is so good. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, the last part of Job is the best. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else just get a little... Um, down? N- not down, but... <laughs> That that moment when God's like, "All right, man up," because I'm about to tell you some things, and I'm like, "Yeah." Hunker down. <laughs> like you know, in cartoons where they gulp, like I know. Have you ever had that moment in real life where you've gulped and you're like, "That's what he must have done." Like, oh man. Here it goes. No one's ever been called out like him. Where were you when I? <laughs> Yeah. You're right, I can't kill a dinosaur. <laughs> yes. Right? He says it so many times, I'll put my hand over my mouth. You know? something good here that I, you know I might not ever get but I have to trust that it is good because it's from God yeah that's a good one that's what I do find hard in all of this too is I struggle with that God's sovereign and yet evil exists and he allows evil to impact us and in the end it's because God allowed it I mean and that's kind of hard to swallow sometimes because it's hard to look at God that way but the biggest takeaway I took from Joe was just to say, 
who are we to ask God why he does what he does? And that was just the bottom line for me. And I think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to go, oh, right? I like how God responds to him with, surely you know. Oh, I know. You were already born. You've lived so many years. You definitely know. And I can you imagine God saying that to you? Like, sure, go ahead. You know so much. Tell me. That sounds like sarcasm. It, it does. is sarcasm. It was funny. This morning, Phoebe asked me, Dad, you said I was sarcastic yesterday because she said something hilarious that was sarcastic yesterday. It was respectful. It was whatever. She goes, is that bad or good? And I'm like, it can be either. I said, do you know who is sarcastic sometimes? And she said, you? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> it's called, now that I'm a literature, I can tell you. Oh. Verbal irony. Oh, Sarcasm verbal irony. is the insulting kind. But verbal irony is when you say something that you don't mean, but not in an insulting manner. Well, I'm just going to keep doing what society does and use words however I want and redefine them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Verbal irony. And then make them up when you need to. I just was really proud that I knew that just now. That's awesome. <laughs> we have a real literature here. I'm learning. I used to work with a team of people. Their whole profession is helping work teams communicate better. And they would say, sarcasm is not communication. I'm like, well, I don't know. I Jesus know. would disagree. Yep, God did it. I think it's not nice when you say it. Hmm. I love that God said that to me. Because don't you imagine God watches us and thinks, because I watch my, you know, when my, especially with a teenager, you know, who knows everything. And then when she tells me things and I'm like, and you know, sometimes you just want to say, okay, since you know everything. Where were you? Yeah, when? and I'm sure God's sitting here watching us going, okay, Allison knows everything again. <laughs> yeah. Where were you when I paid the mortgage last month? <laughs> Next question is, what did you learn about God this month? We, month, we talked a, a little bit about that. Um, but so I guess, what did you learn about yourself? Kind of talk, touched on that too. Yeah. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, when you read Job, you know, there was a question on the sheet. It says, which friends have you met before and which of them have you been? And my response was probably all of them. Mm -hmm. It's just differing points in your life and in your perspective. I have been all of them. And and there's, you know, there's some kind of sadness, but, but owning that yeah. is so important because we can't change anything we do not own. You're right. Mm-hmm. So that might have been the answer I was looking for, Glenda. <laughs> Who, which of Job's friends have you been? Yeah, I mean, we've all been all of them, right? And how silly would it be if we believed the same things now that we believed 20 years ago, right? And in 20 years, uh -huh. if we don't grow through some of it. And that's exactly the same. Yeah, it's a great point. Kind of made me think about thinking about the friends it made me um kind of think about chip chip is so good at listening mm -hmm. you know when you talk to him about he's just really good at that instead of coming at you with and it, i i'd like to be more that way because that the next question is what changes are you making in your life based on your reading and that's something that i would really like to work on is just making sure that i'm i'm just listening because it's my nature to want to talk and jump in mm -hmm. 
I agree with that. You agree that that's my nature? No, I agree with that about Chip. (laughs) I mean, Chip has been sitting with us this entire episode just listening, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. You know, he hasn't said a single word. mm -mm. It's awesome. But no, for real, um, that's something I try to learn from him that I'm not very good at also. I think it's because you've got two ears and one mouth, so you should listen a lot more than you talk. It sounds more like I should cut off one of my ears so I can level the playing field. You need to be a teacher. Okay. Is that Picasso? Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Sorry, I'm not literature. I'm an artist. He's an artist. Who is? Michael Miles. Are you? That's right, you are. Van Gogh. Man, we can get off task. Good, Mike. Any questions from this month? Oh, goodness. Hopefully, because Eric's the one that's going to answer. <laughs> I don't know that I'll have a lot of answers. Back on day 285. <laughs> oh, I remember it well. <laughs> it was only yesterday. Just was it? 16 through 20. Um, Eric said, when things are big and not understandable, it has to do with the depths of sin. Blame the evil one for the things we don't understand. And I'm just, that's what I'm really struggling with, that whole thing, like, especially all the scripture that, you know, God hardens hearts, God softens hearts, God allows evil to impact us, God protects us from evil. And I'm like, so, you know, even like, I think today's reading, there was about the seeds on the path and how the evil one can snatch, you know, so... God allowed him to snatch. I mean, right? It's like, if he's all sovereign, then nothing happens without his allowing. And that's, I don't know, it's kind of a that kind of question. Like, I had a pastor say one time, and this has always stuck with me, and you, I mean, it may not be anything big to you, but it just always stuck. It was several years ago, and he said, God always gives Satan just enough room on the leash to do the exact opposite of what he intended to do. What Satan intended to do, you know what I mean? He says he'll give him enough room and on the leash to do the things that he Satan wants to do, but it's never going to work out in the way that Satan intended it. Like the crucifixion. Part of that is the the balance in creation between God's sovereignty and His His allowing Mm -hmm. us to have free will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we were coerced into making all of those choices if we were funneled there was nothing else to offer then it wouldn't be free will and and or without sincere. free will without free will we can't choose to love god and there's no love right yeah. without free will there's no love yeah uh so michelle you've stumbled upon the problem of evil right if god is all good and all powerful why does evil exist right that's the question of the problem of evil and it's been around for thousands of years. Because we live in a fallen world. Yeah, it's because the world's broken. Okay, well then, why is the world broken? It's broken because of our free will and our decision to side with the serpent and not with the Lord. And, and God knew that the moment he said, let there be light. Yeah, before the foundations of the world. He knew yep. it. Yep. And created us anyway. Yep. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Right, so before creation, there was already this plan in place. That's really where God's sovereignty comes in. Is, you know, it comes to a question of omniscience. So omniscience means the all-knowingness of God. So let me ask you, which is more all-knowing? 
knowing everything that will happen or knowing everything that ever could possibly happen, right? And so that's really what the question becomes. Like, do we believe the omniscience of God is that he knows everything that will happen? Or does he know every single possible outcome of what will happen? And it has to be the second one. And so, I mean, without getting like into like really crazy deep theology and Calvinism and Arminianism and Molinism and middle knowledge and all these things, like just suffice to say, we can't blame God for evil any more than you can blame the person who owned your house a hundred years ago for that tree that's rotting that you have to take down. <laughs> you know, like, oh, why'd they plant this tree? By planting this tree, they made it possible for the tree to rot. And it's the same when God gives us free will. He made it possible for evil to come into existence, but he didn't create evil any more than you create the rust on the other side of your car, right? That's not a substance. That's an an aberration or a dissolving of a substance, right? So, um, yeah, the problem of evil, we could probably go on for a long time. And many, many smarter people than I have tried to tackle that problem for a long time. Um, God's perfect. God can only do things one way, the perfect way. He can't do it 99.9999% perfect. He can only do things the perfect way. And so if God saw fit to create a universe in which evil was possible, that is the perfect way. Because without evil being possible, love can't be possible. Because without choice, you can't have love. And without evil, you, the possibility of evil, there's no choice. So, and, and the final thing I'll say about this is he paid the price for all evil. We suffer the consequences of evil. He paid the price for evil. Even individuals who find themselves in hell in eternity aren't paying the price for evil. They're suffering the consequence for evil. The price was paid on the cross, and that's totally different. So um, at the end of the day, when we say this isn't fair, that evil exists, and I'm not, I'm with you. I hate, I hate that. But I also really like the ability to love God and choose God. So um, yeah, at the end of the day, when we say that we hate that evil exists. Just understand none of us has suffered. Like, yeah, Job suffered a lot. Those, those hours on the cross were drastically worse than whatever Job went through um, and whatever we'll go through. And it was done for us out of love by the use of God's free will. And I was reading something the other day that, that also factored in there when we think about pain and suffering in our world is we've got to remember that this life that we live here is a dot. Oh, yeah. On a line that never stops. Yeah. I mean, not even, right? I mean, yeah. I sometimes am like, man, how could we compare what is to what will be? Like, mm -hmm. how do we compare the finite to the infinite? And the, the reality is you can't. So I can't even say it's a proton versus the entire expanse of the universe because even that, as crazy as that ratio is, even that has a ratio. <laughs> But when you talk about infinity versus something finite, there is no ratio. So yeah, the, the, the speck, whatever you want to call this uh, versus what we gain because Jesus paid the price, uh, yeah, it's, it's incalculable. So literally, it's incalculable. Okay. What's up, Allison? It, I, uh, I was going down, I was going down by myself, down a little... Allison left for a minute. Rabbit hole. But it reminds me, you know, Michelle, it's like those things that I struggle with too, 
especially um, the verse, and it makes me think about the verse in Romans um, where he said, and I just, I had to go find it, where it says, um, just as it is, writ- it is written, Jacob I loved, and he- but Esau I hated. What then shall we say is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And for some reason, I have to remind myself of this portion of Romans because sometimes I just have to remind myself that he, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to get it. And it's his, him. You know what I mean? He's the one who has control and. Yeah. You know? Yep. And well, even the wisest Pharisees and scribes didn't get it. Right. And that's, it's so hard to, I think, let go of the reins and say, okay, I'm not going to get it all. <laughs> but that is so freeing. It is. It is freeing. Man, because again, you want to talk about finite and infinite. How are we going to wrap our finite minds around the infinite God, right? So, cool. What else? Uh, so that was the last question, and then um, for the homework from last month. Well, the homework, Glenda spoiled one of the questions already. <laughs> it's good. Top of the class, Glenda. A+. Plus. I don't think you sent it to me. Okay, well, who's got the questions from last time that can read one of them? Oh, maybe I do. Maybe I do. Uh, the questions are... Is it... Try to record at least one proverb per day, which we kind of talked about that. Did anyone do it? Anyone write down one proverb every day? That's why I answered the way I did at the very beginning. Because <laughs> you I had... we were on this, and then I thought, where's she getting those other questions? Oh, those are just <laughs> the... No, that's no. just... Okay. Chip usually does a discussion there time at the beginning. Okay. Chip's just uh, not here, and we didn't want to get Chap. Oh, yeah, Chap, Chap's busy anyway. Chap's kind of... Oh. It's Sunday, Chap's busy. Where? Uh, he goes and boosts churches. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought of that. Does Derek go with him? Derek, yeah, Derek's there. Oh, Chap and Derek. Those guys. Awful. So um, it says to try to, categorize, me, try to categorize the ones you recorded so you can see what subjects are essential oh, to your yeah. understanding. Did you guys have any themes that popped up in your reading of those, the Proverbs? Or you're like, oh, boy, I better work on this aspect of my life. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so just the power of our words and not in like that power of words. Like, have you heard of power of words? Like, you speak things into existence. Not that necessarily, but when you say the power of life and death is in the tongue, I think of like, like this, like pandemic of like cyber bullying slash suicide kind of thing that happens in young people. And it's like, how much more... How much more evident does it need to be that our words matter? You know? So, yeah. Thank you. That's a good one. It's a really good one. There's also a lot about wisdom and how important wisdom is. Yeah. Um, I, and I appreciate 
Proverbs 31, because there's a lot of stuff in there about how valuable a good woman is. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. And it starts with the question for men. Isn't that great? Like, who can find a godly wife? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's neat because it's, it's written about women to men. Yeah. And there's a need for wisdom there, right? And just to redefine, to say it again, wisdom is understanding reality. That is what the Hebrew word means. So when you see the word wisdom in your Bible, you replace it with the phrase understanding reality. And suddenly it makes a ton of sense. Because I, you know, even this past week I was at a conference and they say, well, wisdom is just knowing what to do with knowledge in the moment. Like, that's not true. You know, but that's a very common thing that we hear. Like, knowledge is knowledge and wisdom is knowing what to do with it. No, wisdom is understanding reality so that you can think critically about the things that you know and interact with reality in a way that is God-honoring. So, always remember that. It's the actual, that's the Hebrew. That's it. I did not know that. Now you do. Uh, What do you think this song was? (laughs) Let me try again. (laughs) That was really good. just leave that. <laughs> what did you? <laughs> I've had a lot of caffeine. Why Why do you think the Song of Solomon is included in the Bible? And especially the wisdom literature. I am going to say this before anybody answers. I have a friend. Um, I'm, I'm from Louisiana. And my friend still lives in Louisiana. And her family is very deep uh, missionary Baptist. Um, super legalistic church. She doesn't go there anymore. Um, and she and I were talking about it and she said, do you know that as much as I have studied the Bible in my life, I have never read that book and it was never taught in the church growing up. And I was like, oh my goodness. It was just interesting to me that it bothers people in some churches. Yeah. I, I think it's included to show God's blessing on marriage and mm-hmm. marriage. Including sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think those are things we really struggle with. Yep. And always have. Mm-hmm. Right? We've always struggled with that. Yes. Yep. Hannah didn't really hit me. I said, I think I said on the podcast that Hannah hit me. She didn't really hit me. Nobody listens. To I you. did tell her about the goat thing, though. Did you? I did. She liked She it. was like, I'm like, I know. But your hair's like goats, Hannah. <laughs> I can't help it. We already answered which of Job's friends have you met before. Um, which of the three themes of Ecclesiastes hits home with you the most? Mm. <clears throat> Gosh, it's a hard book for me. Randomness. The randomness. Boy, you are. Your struggle is right on your sleeve. The randomness, but God's sovereign and... Hmm. It appears random to us. Yeah. That there's no formula, right? It all just goes the way it goes. Yeah. I liked the. I'm sorry. I was just. I was just gonna say. I like the. It's a good reminder for me. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. You know, we tend to look at the stuff that's going on right now and think, this is unprecedented, terrible things, and there's nothing new. There's nothing. Yeah, at its heart, it's all the same. What's up, Jeff? I was going to, you know, there's, what, three or four or five times that he comes along and says, you know, it's just, I mean, obey God and eat, drink, 
you know, do what you're supposed to do, and all this doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Don't get bogged down on this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that book is kind of oversimplified in some ways, right? Like, life is terrible. Live the best you can. Obey God. That be, should be on a T-shirt. The word of the Lord. We'll have those T-shirts made next month. Yeah, it'll be good. Get your order in. Life is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Live the best you can. See, my takeaway was a time for everything. Hear God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sometimes think about people I know that have died, and I'm like, I wonder what they would think of the world right now. But that's part of Ecclesiastes, right? Is we die, we don't have a voice anymore. And eventually... Even the best of us, eventually, we're gone. We're forgotten. We're out. So I just think about that and um, think about, I think it's Acts 17. The Bible, Paul is speaking in Athens, and I think he describes, if it's the right passage I'm thinking of, um, the fact that God puts us in the time he puts us in. Right? He puts our days on the calendar right where they go. And just think about, you know, how we are meant to live in this time, which means that this time is not just a coincidence for our lives. It is the calling on our lives to be in this time. And when you think of it that way, Ecclesiastes makes a lot of sense because it's like, yeah, I'm going to die and I won't have a voice in this world anymore. But that's okay because the next guy that God has assigned to this time will be there in that moment. So I just think that that's kind of neat, too. The resources, whatever that may be, that's left, you know, that person picks it up and, or different people, you know, throughout, you know, coming up the line, pick all those um, resources up and take off with them. Yeah. Yeah. Sir Isaac Newton said, if I've seen further than other people, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that apple hit him in the head. He forgot everything. <clears throat> okay okay that it yep that's it okay we're gonna talk about the page in your bible between malachi and matthew that's what we're gonna talk about today malachi the italian prophet so this month the intertestamental period the time between the Old and New Testaments. Because boy, oh boy, when you close the Old Testament and you open the New Testament, and yes, I know it's all in the same book, just go with me. When you make that switch, everything changes. And you're like, whoa, what just happened? Like, like this, even just this last time, even just closing Job and opening Luke, we don't do that. That's not how we switch Testaments typically. It's Malachi to Matthew, but... Even just doing that, everything is different, right? We close Malachi. The Jews are doing okay. He's like, hey, get it together. You know, we want to keep this thing rolling. We open up with Matthew, and we're like, what happened? Like, who are the Romans? How did they get here? What happened to the Persians? What's going on here, right? And so some things are interesting. So I'm going to read through this. 400 years the, the intertestamental period, 400 years. That's not your first blank. Just, just hear me out for a second. You cannot cover that in a one-hour class, right? So I gave you what I could, but I really encourage you, go and look at this history. Look at Daniel 2, 
7, 9, and 11. Daniel 2, 7, 9, and 11. Those chapters are all about what will happen and remarkably accurate, of course, to what did happen between the Testaments. Insane when you read about some of the things that were said to happen and then did happen. Another thing that happens is if we don't understand that some prophecies, especially Daniel 2, 7, 9, and 11, are about that intertestamental period, we may be sitting here waiting for something that already happened, right? So we have to pay close attention to that too. Helps us understand our Bible better. Okay, so the intertestamental period, also known as the, anyone know? What did God have to say? The silent years. God said nothing through his prophets. Begins, sorry, I'll slow down. Known as the silent years. Begins with the end of the prophet Malachi. You knew that. Begins with the end of the prophet Malachi. And ends with the ministry of John the Baptist. J the B, as Chip would say, but he's not here. He is here. He's listening, right? So, yeah. During this time, God did not speak to Israel through special revelation. God did not speak to Israel through special revelation. However, it is clear that he never stopped working for the good of his people and the world. Without understanding the intertestamental, I spelled it wrong that time, period, it is impossible to get a good grasp on the context of the New Testament. Glenda, I need to buy stickers because you deserve stickers. Gold stars, little like hamburgers that say funny things that have to do with hamburgers. You know what I'm talking about? Scratch and sniff. Scratch and sniff. With the fruit and everything. Oh, yeah, I remember those. Those are probably toxic. Oh, probably. From a Christian perspective, it seems that the most important event that took place during this time is a process called Hellenization. H-E-L-L-E-N-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N. Yes. Hellenization, a cultural shift that took place under the leadership of, any guesses? Greece, Greece under the leadership of? No, I mean, it's Greece. The, Give me a big leader from Greece. Oh, Alexander, the Great. Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great is essential to understanding the New Testament. Isn't that crazy? Where'd the name Hellenization come from? So that was their word for Greece. They didn't say Greece. They said Helena. Okay. Yeah. No, he's just his mom. He named after his mom. (laughs) (laughs) Helen the Good. (laughs) (laughs) Hellenization describes the process of all cultures to include worship practices and language. Man, you can tell I wrote this at midnight. Conforming to Greek practices. The Jewish people, 
were specially favored by Alexander. As when he arrived to conquer Jerusalem, he was met with a group of priests that read to him from Daniel chapter 7. This is the four beasts of Daniel. You guys familiar with this? I know you've read it. So the four beasts of Daniel describe four great kingdoms. The first one is a lion with eagle's wings. Um, That literally, the lion with eagle's wings, is literally the symbol of Babylon. So it's a lion with eagle's wings. And as I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing there with two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind, almost like somebody who's running the nation of Babylon goes from thinking like a beast to thinking like a human. Remember that whole story? Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. This is the Medo-Persian Empire. Medo-Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians came together. They conquered Babylon. That's how you get this switch to King Darius in the time of Daniel. Darius is the king during Daniel in the lion's den. The Medo-Persian Empire is like a bear. It's big, it's fierce, but it rears up on one side. And the reason why is because even though it was called the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medes didn't have much to do with this empire. They were not the ones that were really significant to the empire. And so on one side, it's much stronger than on the other side. So Medo-Persian, but mostly Persian. That's why we read in the Bible about Persia and not about Media. Then the third of these strange beasts. This is the important part to Alexander. So Alexander the Great, the conqueror, is walking up to your city. And you don't rally the army. You get a few priests together to go out and read to him from the Bible. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds' wings on its back, and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. The leopard with wings is meant to depict... I think I might have written this in here. So let's go. The description of the Greek Empire... This is the next one after Daniel 7. The description of the Greek Empire as a four-headed leopard with wings, leopard, with wings, was a flattering one to Alexander, who was known to be a swift conqueror. You get a leopard. Man, those things are quick. You throw four wings on it. Those things are even faster, right? So Alexander hears this and he's like, whoa, I kind of like that. And so now he specially favors the Jewish people because of it. So as a sign of his special favor toward the Jewish people, Alexander made many special concessions for them. For instance, he insisted that their scriptures be translated into Greek 
resulting in a version of the Old Testament known as, I'll spell it, the Septuagint, S-E-P-T-U-A-G-I-N-T. Septuagint. This version of the Old Testament would go on to be the version read by and Christ and the Apostles. So when you read, I'll let you write that first, Christ and the Apostles. So when you read in the New Testament a quote from the Old Testament, they are quoting the Greek version of the Old Testament. There are sometimes slight discrepancies between the Greek and the Hebrew Old Testament, but the New Testament quotes only the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. Another cool thing that the Septuagint does, so the Septuagint is written um, in the 200s BC. It's recorded. It's called the Septuagint because there were 70 people that did the translation, so Sept meant that. So um, Another thing that this does is it means... Isaiah 53, right? This great chapter about Christ and the crucifixion or any of these other big messianic prophecies that we read, they had to have been written before Jesus because they were in the Septuagint. There's no way to fake it. Alexander the Great, he ordered the writing of these scriptures, the translation of these scriptures. There is no way to say someone went back after the life of Jesus and wrote the 70 weeks of Daniel. There's no way to say that because it was already translated 200 and it's well-documented because the whole world was Greek. So that's another thing that that does. It's incredible. No one can ever say that the Old Testament was edited after that time. Can't be done because it's all sealed and we have those copies. Okay, this version of the Old Testament would go on to be read by Christ and the apostles. Alexander also established remote places of Jewish worship. That's your next there, remote places of Jewish worship throughout the Greek Empire, known as, anyone know? It's a word you all know, but you didn't know where it came from. You all know about it, but you didn't know where they came from. The synagogues. S-Y-N-A-G-O-G-U-E-S. These places of meeting would become the primary locations for Paul's ministry to the Gentiles throughout the Roman, which was previously Greek, world. Very cool that God is lining this up. There is no ministry of Paul to the God-fearing Gentiles without synagogues throughout the Hellenized world, right? Alexander also united many nomadic, nomadic, N-O-M-A-D-I-C, Jewish communities in Egypt, forming them into one city, Alexandria. This became a city of Jewish refugees 
who left Palestine for any number of reasons. Now, let's think for a second. Why were there so many nomadic Jewish people in Egypt? We kind of heard about it today. Didn't say it expressly, but where did Jeremiah end up? You guys remember? He ended up in Egypt. He ran away to Egypt because he told the refugees, don't go to Egypt, stay here, submit to the Babylonians. And they said, yeah, we don't need you. We're going to go to Egypt. And he's like, well, if you're going to go to Egypt, I'm going to go with you because eventually you're going to need my ministry to lead you back here. Jeremiah, by tradition, died in Egypt. But there's all these nomadic chunks of Israelites and Jewish people living down in Egypt, and they never go back at the end of the exile. Why? Because they're less than, right? They didn't stay in the land. So all the people who were up in Babylon in exile come back. If they had found a bunch of people coming back from Egypt too, like, oh, yeah, it was... It was rough. Yeah, we also had to go through hard times. No, that's not going to happen. So they stay in Egypt. They're happy in Egypt. Alexander says, we're going to put you all into one big city, Alexandria. It becomes a very wealthy, safe, happy city. So much so that later, Jews will flee Palestine for any number of reasons, including the order of King Herod. King Herod to kill all the male Jewish infants in the early first century. Where did Mary and Joseph run with their baby? (laughs) Wow, God's lining it up. He's making it happen. See, without Alexander the Great and the way God used Alexander the Great, the New Testament looks real different, right? Can't understand the New Testament without Alexander. After the death of Alexander, the Greek, Greek empire was divided into four parts. That's why the leopard had four heads. Of these, I feel bad saying this, but only two of them mattered. I'll spell them for you. The Ptolemies starts with P, P-T-O-L-E-M-I-E-S. The Ptolemies and the Seleucids, S-E-L-E-U-C-I-D-S. Got it? Okay. The Ptolemaic dynasty was a southern kingdom and the last Egyptian dynasty. In fact, Cleopatra was a Ptolemy. The Seleucid Empire was more northern, encompassing the region of Israel and what was once Babylon. So it went from Babylon to Persia to now Greece and then became part of the Seleucid Empire. Okay. Eventually, Israel would come to be ruled over by the most vile and wicked ruler of the Seleucids, Antiochus, A-N-T-I-O-C-H- U.S. the fourth, so I.V. Also known as Antiochus Epiphanes, a name he gave himself, and it means God manifest. So Antiochus Epiphanes became God manifest. That's his name, God manifest. So uh, 
interestingly, we're going to read about this little rebellion that happens against him, but interestingly, Epiphanes means God manifest. His nickname among the Jewish people was Epimenes, which actually means the madman. Mm. So you know how they felt. He was known to be a generous ruler in other regions. But Antiochus was oppressive and cruel to the Jewish people. He taxed them harshly. I'm going to tell a little story before we get to this. So he is up here in the north where the Seleucids are. He decides, I am going to expand my empire down to where the Ptolemies are. So I'm going to go down into Egypt. Right? So between up here in Babylon and Egypt, there's a place called Israel. So he stops by Israel and he says, hey, I'm going to be taxing you. He puts all these big taxes in place. Now, here's the deal. He, at this point, all he wants is their money. He's not overly cruel, but they hate him. They hate him big time because he calls himself God manifest, right? They're not going to like that, which also, by the way, when Jesus says, I'm the son of God, or he stands there and says, I am, there are echoes in the minds of Jewish people of Antiochus, the madman, who said, I'm God manifest. So he passes through Israel on his way down to Egypt. He goes down to Egypt and he says, I'm going to take this place over. The problem is the Romans, their empire is growing and they've backed Egypt, right? So they've said, no, you mess with us. You're going to mess with Rome. And so Antiochus is standing there. A man who is so full of himself that he calls himself God manifest is standing there. And he says, I'm going to take this land over. And no army met him. One single dude. Not a general, not a warrior. A Roman senator came out and said, if you choose to attack Egypt, you will be attacking the Roman Empire. So Antiochus says, well, let me go think about it. And this is where we get a phrase that all of you know. It's called the line in the sand. Because what this senator did was walk around Antiochus the madman with his staff and drew a circle around him. And he said... You can think as long as you want, but if you leave this circle without answering me, you have declared war on Rome. So Antiochus goes away with his tail tucked. He says, okay, I won't be fighting you. I won't be fighting the Egyptians. He goes away with his tail tucked, and he's an angry man. The rumors moved faster than Antiochus because soon the rumor came to Jerusalem, and it said, Antiochus has died in Egypt. So now they're cheering and celebrating and excited for the death of this angry man who thinks he himself is God. And he rolls back into Jerusalem and finds them celebrating his death. Hmm. He taxed them harshly and after finding them celebrating a rumor of his death, that's your next blank there, Antiochus began a campaign in Israel to destroy the entirety of Jewish culture and worship. Culture and worship. Antiochus outlawed the practice of circumcision. There were two women, the story goes, there were two women who decided that they would still circumcise their babies. And what Antiochus did was have both of the babies killed and hung around the mother's necks and then had the mothers marched up to the top of the wall around Jerusalem and thrown off. That's Antiochus Epiphanes. 
He forced the high priest and others to consume pig flesh. He halted all temple sacrifices. He sprinkled a copy of the Torah, T-O-R-A-H, with pig broth. And most famously, he sacrificed a pig, sacrificed a pig on the altar in the courtyard of the temple. This event is known as the abomination that causes desolation. The abomination that causes desolation. A foreshadowing of the work of who? The Antichrist. as described by Jesus in Matthew 24. When Jesus' audience in the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24, he's on the Mount of Olives talking about the end times, when he describes the Antichrist, all of them have visions of who? Antiochus Epiphanes. So Antiochus Epiphanes met strong opposition when he sent officers to the town of Modin, M-O-D-I-I-N, to enforce his laws against practicing Judaism. This opposition came, from, came in the form of the town's priest, Mattathias, M-A-T-T-A-T-H-I-A-S, who put each of the officers to death. After this event, Mattathias and his sons began a guerrilla war against their Greek oppressors. Mattathias died of old age after appointing his son, Judah, as the leader of the rebellion. Judah would be nicknamed the Hammer. Or Maccabeus. Makiv being the Hebrew word for hammer. So Judah Maccabeus, have you heard of the Maccabean Revolution? Or the book of, yeah, the two books in the Apocrypha, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, notably not included in Scripture by the Jewish people, but included in Scripture by both the Catholics and the Greek Orthodox. Judah successfully defeated a number of generals and even an army of 60,000 troops. with only 7,000 of his own. Story goes, Antiochus didn't think that this guy was capable of much, so he sent his lesser generals to deal with him. And so Judah starts knocking them off one at a time because he understands, if you don't know, the Holy Land is very like peaks and valleys. It's all mountains. And so this guy knows the terrain. He knows the area. These, these Seleucid soldiers do not. And so he's able to whittle down that force with his 7,000 soldiers. He whittles, whittles 60,000 down to 35,000. And then what does he do? He prays to God. 
and God hands over their enemies. This is Old Testament stuff, right? Like, that's what it sounds like, you know? And you have to think about the faith of Judah Maccabeus. Because Judah, he hasn't heard from God in hundreds of years. There's been no conversation between Israel and God, and yet he still is out there doing this thing. So I love it. Eventually, because of the Maccabees, Israel would be granted autonomy during a time known as the, this, I'll spell this one too, Hasmonean dynasty, H-A-S-M-O-N-E-A-N dynasty. That was basically their last name. The temple next blank there. The temple was rededicated after the atrocities committed by Antiochus. You remember when they had to dedicate all the priests in the tabernacle, then the temple, and then some guy comes along and sacrifices pigs and sprinkles blood all over the people and the stuff and, and then pig broth all over the scriptures. Like they needed to purify the temple. And to do that, they needed eight days. But only one only one day's worth of oil could be found that hadn't been contaminated by Antiochus. But for some reason, that oil burned for eight days, despite only being one day's worth. And so they had a festival named after this called the Festival of Lights. So that is Hanukkah. Interestingly, I don't know if this is related to anything. I didn't bother digging in on it. It happened on December 25th, which I think is kind of cool. <laughs> I think that's neat. Uh, anyway, the final important event of the intertestamental period is the conquest of Judea by, it's a country. You all know it. Rome. It's not a country anymore, I guess. Hmm. I could just call it a city. City. Oh, Chip is here. Yeah. See, I say, say I've been here the whole time. I've been listening. I've pretty much been here the whole time of listening. Yeah, good. Nice said. job, Chip. <laughs> in 67 BC, Rome comes rolling in. This is the governmental context of Jesus and the apostles. So Rome has this rule. It's called the Pax Romana. Have you ever heard of that? The Pax Romana. It means the peace of Rome. It was their motto, and it basically went like this. Peace to Rome and quiet in the provinces. So they were going to have peace. Just, you know, they might crucify you to get it. So wanting to maintain the policy of quiet in the provinces... It's kind of like, and I'll, I'm going to give you the next thing in a second. They didn't quite get what was happening in Israel. It was like they came in, they took over, and they decided that they were going to start uh, like kind of playing by your rules, but they didn't bother to learn your rules. It's like when you get a new boss at work, and he doesn't really know what's going on, but he's like, here's what's going to happen, right? And he doesn't, he kind of gets it, but he doesn't really get it. Because what they do is... By trying to keep quiet in the provinces, they say, okay, we're not going to send a guy from Rome to rule over you. Right? 
Because we, we want quiet in the provinces. We don't want you guys to constantly be, we'll give you one of your own. So they installed an Edomite governor. They almost got it. It's close. Wrong son. The Edomites, of course, being from Esau. The Israelites being from Jacob, but close enough. If you're the Romans, you're like, whatever. You're all just kind of the same brown people over there. So they install an Edomite governor over Judea by the name of Herod. Roman occupation gave rise to two groups. The first was a group known as the Holy Ones. Also known as the Pharisees. This group insisted on enforcing and augmenting, adding to, augmenting, A-U-G-M-E-N-T-I-N-G, the law of Moses for the noble reason of keeping Israel pure during the occupation. Really, the Pharisees showed up because they wanted Israel to remain pure in a time where they were bombarded by pagan practices and all these horrible things coming through from the Roman Empire, for, really from the Persians and the Greeks and the Seleucids and the Romans. And over time, right, as would happen if God's been quiet for 400 years, they start to fall away, right? The prophets had to show up every 15 minutes to keep them on. So now the holy ones, the Pharisees set apart themselves have come up and said, okay, we're going to start following the law, but not only are we going to start following the law, we're going to improve this thing to keep you more holy than the law could. Why do you think these guys didn't like Jesus? Because he's like, you make up laws because you think you're so holy, right? Okay, by the way, uh, any scripture plus anything is less than scripture, Amen. right? So they didn't get that concept. Jesus got that concept. Okay. Secondly, there was a group known as the Sadducees. That should be the word wealthy. They were wealthy aristocrats that eagerly accepted Greco-Roman culture and faith practices. These groups created the religious backdrop of Christ, the Pharisees, and the early church, the Sadducees. So Jesus preaches freedom from the law. And so he runs up against the Pharisees. The church says, Jesus came back to life. The Sadducees, why were they so sad, you see? <laughs> right? They didn't believe in the resurrection. So when you say to them, hey, our leader came back to life, yeah, you're going to find some issues with them. And Paul very masterfully, because these two groups, as you can see, would have hated each other. Paul very masterfully plays these groups off of each other when he's on trial. He says, I'm only here because I preach the resurrection of the dead. And so all the Pharisees say, well, okay. And all the Sadducees say, uh, no way. And so they start fighting amongst themselves. And Paul's like, I'll see myself out. If you guys are, it seems like there's something else going on here. I'm just going to go. So... Uh, cool. So that is the intertestamental period at a glance. Fascinating time in history. You could go into many more things. Do you guys know what the Romans were famous for? Pizza. Yes. The best pizza. No. So the Romans built something okay, that, was that was really important. The Leaning Tower. 
That was good too. Glenda got it again. Roads. The roads. And where? All roads what? <laughs> All roads lead to Rome. So when you're Paul and you're setting out on a missionary journey and you're walking the roads and right on the side of these roads that didn't exist before the Romans, you've got the synagogues that were built by Alexander the Great because he loved the Jewish people because they told him he's a leopard with wings and that God gave him great authority. The stuff that happens between the Testaments is so important. We can't understand the Antichrist without understanding Antiochus IV. We can't understand the, the reading of the Old Testament without understanding the Septuagint. Like all of these things build on themselves because God, even though he wasn't talking through special revelation, God was working. Does God send prophets in special revelation today? No, we've got 66 closed books of the Bible, right? There's no new revelation. But is God still working? Amen. Yes. So clearly. So that's what we're looking at when we look at that, guys. And the New Testament, when you remember these things, if you even keep 10% of this in the back of your mind as you're reading the New Testament, it takes a whole new form. And you can understand it so much better. So, guided reading. In what ways do you see the effects of the intertestamental period in Luke, Acts, and these epistles? Because we're going to have just a few epistles this month. So we'll read Luke, Acts, and then there's just a couple epistles. How does knowing the origins of the Pharisaical sect to be noble and well-meaning change your perspective of the generation of Pharisees with whom Jesus interacts? And give some examples of the shift from the Pharisees as the main antagonist to the Sadducees as the main antagonist between the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Pay attention to those things. So I have a little theory. I don't... The Antichrist is coming. On day one of the tribulation, that's the first thing that happens. He's the first judgment that's poured out on the world. And he shows up and he reestablishes the uh, practice of sacrifice and all those things in the temple. He comes to, you know, an agreement with the Jewish people and all that. And then halfway through, he stops all of it and he commits the abomination that causes desolation. A second one, round two of this. And my belief is, and we'll all be in heaven at this point, so we yeah, won't know, but... Or maybe we'll know, but we won't be overly bothered. My belief is, if Antiochus was the first Antichrist and he sacrificed a pig, I believe that the second Antichrist, the real Antichrist, will sacrifice a human being in the temple. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. So think about like that graduation of what happens, right? A pig defiled it, a human desolation, right? So just always be thinking critically about the things that we read and try to Wrap your mind in these things, because this, is, this isn't in Scripture, but this is part of understanding the Bible, crucial part. Okay. I think that's it. Okay. Chip, did you want to say anything to the people? <clears throat> well, now that you've listened this whole time. Yeah. Well, I would just say, uh, great job with this. Yeah, Thank you. Really. This is very enlightening and very helpful. Very good. You're, you're gifted in this area, for sure. And uh, it would be good to, to learn from it and just very helpful to know this information so great job thank you it's good stuff yeah awesome mm -hmm. Nancy that's all I got did you give us the list on October 18th of those New Testament readings I wrote them down I had to play it back two or three times what do you mean what was I supposed Are to do you, okay 
We started in Luke. Are we going to go Luke, Acts, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians? Great question. I know what you're asking now. I can Let me pull reach. it up, and I'll tell you what we're going to read this month. Did you already, did you already give those I can repost the plan. I can pull them up. And yeah, we can repost it, but I can pull them up. I'll do that right now. It's been a while. Good news, guys. My print job's gone. And the bookmarks. Right, right, right. It's been a while. I'll repost it right now. Okay, but here we go, and I'll say it right now, too. We'll give it to the people in many different mediums. Bookmarks and postings, and here I go. I'll talk about it. T-shirts. T-shirts. <laughs> you know, like the T-shirts that you, like, go and follow a band? Yeah. Like how Mike Miles follows fish all around the country. Yeah. And they've got, like, the... Right, and Bon Jovi. <laughs> and Bon Jovi. Yeah. And they've got the, like, tour dates on the back. That's what we should have, our yeah, whole reading plan on the I back. I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> okay, so we've got Luke, Acts, First and Second Thessalonians. <laughs> fish, though. I bet you like fish. Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Jovi's true. You New do Jersey. like a good fish fry. By Jovi's New Jersey. That's the Jets. You do. <laughs> First and Second Thessalonians. First and Second Corinthians. Galatians. Romans. I didn't pick the order on this next one. Philemon. Colossians. Ephesians. Philippians. First Timothy, Titus, and Second Timothy. There are days that we're doing whole books of the Bible every day. Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, Ephesians in a day. Did that again. Philemon, Colossians, what's right after? Ephesians. I had to be This is the prison. We're in prison for these Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Possible. Possible. Philippians. Then First Timothy. I know I got some wrong. Then Titus. Yep. Then Second Timothy. Oh boy. So our next, our next SDA will have to be about Paul and the Gospels. We can do that. We're good. You guys learned about Alexander the Great today, so. Mm -hmm. And he only lived 30 some years. Yeah. Because yeah. there was no I think I'll redo this. Make sure that's right. right. Okay. Lay down and died. All right. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Anything else? All right, Chip, you want to pray? Yeah. Cool. God, thanks for this day. Um, thank you for your word. I pray that it would continue to sink in the deepest part of who we are and produce fruit and that would honor and glorify you. Lord, uh, help us to continue to understand and grasp it and get it. Lord, thank you for these people and those that are listening, those that are reading on their own. Lord, I just pray your word and would just have a huge impact in all of our lives. We know that it will not return void. It, there will be impact. And we just pray for that, Lord, and thank you for it. Help us have a great rest of the day. Thank you for this day. And we give it to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Cool. How's your meeting?